Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 218. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Allow me to introduce to you a new way to improve your brand. It's called Restaurant Branding Roadmap Academy. Don't risk becoming a restaurant failure. Join other operators and learn how to build a restaurant brand that will thrive. Simply head over to www.restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kath Gallant. Kath, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I am feeling so unstoppable, Eric. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, that is what we love to hear at Restaurant Unstoppable. So let me just give the listeners a quick introduction, and then I'll pass it over to you to get that motivational ball rolling. Uh Kath is the proprietor at Blue Moon Evolution. Blue Moon's deep-rooted philosophy is based on an inherent respect for the individual and the planet. Since 1995, they have had a close relationship with their local farmers and community members and have maintained a focus of education, global awareness, and constant learning. Blue Moon has won a massive handful of New Hampshire's Best of Awards during the 21 years they've been in business and they continue to accelerate with every new day so this is just obviously a huge aerial view of who you are what you're all about uh i can't wait to dive into the story kath but before we do let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra hit it okay okay well i realized i live by many uh mantras so i've created a little medley of mantras for you Some people say, where there's a will, there's a way. I say, where there's a will, there are infinite ways. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. Do your best each day. And if you treat other people as you want to be treated, things have a way of working out. Mm. Just join a team because together each achieves more. Since many hands make light the work and in every job to be done, there's an element of fun. So believe in you, family first, take a leap. If you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose. Mm. (laughs) Awesome. That is good. Oh, man, what a way to start off the interview. And uh, I just love uh, this whole uh, where there's a will, there's a way. But you say where there's a will, there's an infinite way. Well, you know, uh, it came from my grandmother, actually. Really? She used to say where there's a – some people say where there's a will, there's a way. I say where there's a will, there's six ways. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it and I thought six or infinite, you know, like really, if you want to keep approaching something, you have to try different approach, you know, different directions. Absolutely. Absolutely, Kath. I love it. Uh, It really reminds me of the words of uh, Napoleon Hill. And maybe you're familiar with this book, but Think and Grow Rich. Are you familiar with his philosophies? I'm not. I'm not. Well, he talks about like just the being able to tap into the the ether and the infinite. Mm -hmm. And we as humans have the ability to be so creative. As soon as we say we, we can't do something or it's not possible, our mind shuts off. But as soon as we say we can do something and we ask ourselves, how can we do it? It's 
incredible how we can just start tapping into the ether and just tapping into the infinite possibilities to make our dreams come true. Uh, And that's what was echoing with me when you shared that, that mantra, that success quote, awesome stuff. Um, I totally agree. (laughs) So I just gave uh, the listeners a quick uh, taste of who you are and what you're all about, but let's talk, let's, let's let you tell us more about how, Blue Moon Evolution came to be. So, I mean, take us to the point where you decided or maybe where the dream started to form. Like, when did you know you wanted to open this restaurant? Well, I moved to Exeter and um, in 1994, and there was no place for me to shop. There was no natural foods market. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling to Portsmouth, and I kind of thought there must be enough people in this community to support a small market. Where did you move from, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, we lived in the woods of Nottingham for okay. about 12 years, okay. and I was still driving to Portsmouth for my natural foods market. So I I kind of went from Nottingham to Exeter. So that's about like a 15-minute drive for anybody who's not familiar with the area. Right, okay. right. And... Um, I'd been doing some small catering jobs and kind of decided I, I, I actually decided I didn't want to cook and I was going to try to just run a market. Mm-hmm. But that that didn't last very long. Um, people said, you know, well, cooking's your foundation. And so I decided to open just a simple back cafe, kind of three seater with uh, takeout to um, utilize this, the vegetables, the produce that we were getting in. And, and this is 1995? 1995. So I leased a uh, vacant, worn building that was kind of dilapidated. And uh, and people had sort of forgotten that at one time that building had been a very hot restaurant spot. It was the uh, Seafood Center, Thompson Seafood Center. I and did not know that. People used to line up down the street on Friday for their fish and chips. And I remembered. So I knew at one time that it had been a viable you know, food spot. And in my research through the years, it was actually originally constructed to house a church in the 1800s. Um, we actually have, you know, saw where the steeple was, but I f- realized that it really was a community hub spot. And uh, I think that, um, you know, its location is just people are moving around it. It's not on the main street, but pe- we definitely are a destination. So people mm-hmm. find us. Awesome. So uh, when did you make the decision that you wanted to make this into like when did you start realizing that it was going to become a restaurant? Because you said like, when you first started, it was just that that uh, marketplace. But when right. did you like talk to us about the evolution of Blue Moon? Sure, evolution? sure. Uh, well, we'd run the market for 15 years and it was kind of a well-oiled machine. The cafe through the years continued to grow and grow and grow. Um, we got a lot of recognition for our cafe. We had gotten best of New Hampshire for our soup, and we'd gotten business of the year for our community involvement. But um, in 2009, I went and saw the, the newly released Food Inc., and it kind of shook my world. Like, I knew the food industry out there was bad, but I had no idea how bad it was. And I, I had these three big hits that happened. I taught a uh, ethical eating course where I kind of looked at my food and realized that the big food manufacturers were buying out all the natural food lines. Um, I did the Chef's Collaborative Fundraiser, an Earth Dinner, where we did a four-course locally sourced meal. And it was kind of unheard of. People were sort of like, you're coming to us for potatoes, you know, and you're going to Flag Hill for their wine. And um but we went for it and we created this beautiful Earth Day. It was our anniversary uh, dinner and the community was just crazy for it. We we sold out two full seatings and 
my kids actually who were in their 20s at the time came to me and said, Mom, you've got to do this local food movement. You've got to follow this. Um, and we've called it evolution. And I said to them, well, I'm in if you're in. My kids had grown up working at the uh, market after school. And actually, my oldest daughter has worked with me since I opened 21 years ago when she started as a senior in high school and um, really is my right hand. So we're kind of deep in family. You know, we're uh, I do say family first. I've never, I've sacrificed, but I've never compromised family. We might have taken the stereo that, uh, you know, the one broke at the restaurant and we take the one from home and the kids are like, where's the stereo, mom? And I said, well, it's down at the restaurant. <laughs> we all got to make some sacrifices. <laughs> right, right. But we don't compromise, you know, that's yes. what I like to say. Awesome. I mean, I love what you're saying and I love it. It sounds like you were doing food right before it was cool to do food right. And it seems like there's this inherent like just sense about you, this awareness about you uh, that just just kind of strives to, to have responsibility for what you you know, what you do and how you're influencing other people. Am I off by saying that? Well, no. Yeah, I think I think you were right. I mean, I, I do feel like it all matters and every choice we make, it all adds up kind of like a pot of soup, you know, um, uh, and I don't know, in the, it actually, uh, at a very young age, I, I actually attended the first ever held in the United States World Vegetarian Conference in 1975 in Orono, Maine. I actually hitchhiked, I was 16 years old, and I stepped into a world of yogis and their saffron robes, and there were sprouters and juicers and it was very, this consciousness around food, and it really was an awakening for me, and I committed at that time that I wanted my life to evolve around food with a consciousness, I guess, or an awareness of where um, just the vibe, I don't know, just the what a high-quality food world can bring to your life, the quality of life, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And I love what you're saying. And it sounds like uh, just listening to you talk, like your restaurant is really just an extension of who you are. And uh, Jen DeRozier said it best. I had her on the show and she said that her restaurant is a vehicle for her mission. And I hear that with you just because you, you said 17 years old, you went there, you, lear you learned all about uh, this, you know, food and how to be conscious about food. And now you're using your life to be a, a you know, a delivery system for these beliefs you have. Uh, totally. I, I kind of say, you know, I really do believe my mission is to leave this earth better than I found it. And mm -hmm. food just happens to be my vehicle. Awesome. So that's, that's kind of, and everyone has their own vehicle. Of Great. What to offer. And you, you did some talking about community too, and how uh, you really just, you're, you're so community focused and can community driven. How much of an impact did that have, Kath, uh, this focus on community, on being able to uh, get that support when it came time to do these uh, best of rewards? I mean, is it that support that you gave to the community? Do you think that's the reason why they gave you that support back? Um, I'm not sure. I think probably they. my commitment was obvious through the action of my community involvement. My community involvement uh, really began with the local teen center. I volunteered every week for five years, actually, um, cooking with the teens. And we prepared a meal for 50 people and they would try new things and we now, would sit down and set the table. And How many of these teens came back to you and ended up working for you? I'm curious. Uh, 
you know, not that many. Really? A few worked for me through the years. Uh, they were younger, though. They were mm -hmm. still, it was kind of that 12, 13, 14. But they have come back to me. I mean, the stories of how it resonated for them, how much of a food was a connection for them was mm -hmm. what I loved. Um, their grandmother making cornbread and mm -hmm. uh, um, how how they, I even have this great poster that um, – food is my passion and and one of the students with a rolling pin over her shoulder you know <laughs> i think it empowered them actually yeah um and it wasn't a culinary program so that might have been why i didn't see that many but i think it definitely left an impression and helped shape their world mm -hmm. um and i have you know i love teaching children i go into the schools whenever i can or if i'm asked um, and I have a variety of things that I talk to them about from sugar to foods that resemble the organ they benefit and you name it. I, I could probably create something, but awesome. I love teaching them because I feel like if they go home with the information and say, hey, mom, did you know there's no strawberries in these strawberry Pop-Tarts, you know, <laughs> then the mother's going to go, oh, yeah, gee, you know, let's get the real deal. Let's get the real strawberries. Yes. So I think when it comes from the children, it, it's really powerful. Awesome. Yeah, that social influence can be so rewarding. Uh, so let's talk about your why, Kath. I mean, what is it, you know, that makes you do what you do? Why do you wake up every day? What drives you? You know, that was a really challenging question. It, you know, I had to think about that one a lot. I guess um, I happen to be a child, uh, kind of uh, my family, my parents struggled and I was the youngest of six kids and I lived in a great neighborhood and the women of my neighborhood kind of took me in and they, uh, you know, taught me how to bake and we picked berries and made jam and had my first taste of molasses. And if Mrs. Frank was making donuts and I smelt it, my, I, I would knock on her door and, you know, make up a question like, do you know what time it is or something? And she would give me a donut. And so <laughs> I think the power of food and the connect, the, I think that I wanted to give that back what I was given, I guess. Um, I wanted to help. I realized the power that food had in community and in helping people. And, you know, even I think of 9-11, honestly, people came to the Blue Moon to, to seek community. They, they didn't come to be fed food. They needed to be around, you know, like-minded people mm -hmm. in a time of, you know, when they were lost or or you know not sure what was going on so i i do really think um a good kitchen ha has a magnet mm -hmm. and and i i do say i i have a kitchen magnet <laughs> and i think that's what i that's why i do what i do well mrs frank would be proud of you i can tell you that much kath i mean i love the to share the power of food to give back what was given to you and really i mean there's just so much that can resonate with uh all of us in that message. Awesome stuff. Um, so let's talk about your if factors. What is it about Kath Gallant that you think most contributed to your success? Okay. Um, well, I'm very optimistic. So I, I do believe with uh, wholeheartedly if, I, if I'm going to take my leap of faith. Um, but I'm also, I think one of my strengths is I am a numbers geek on top of loving food. So I think my success in business comes from really watching those numbers um, and liking it, liking the numbers. Um, uh, I like 
I, I do believe I get what I give, so I, I'm happy to work hard, and I love the gratification that I get from it. Um, I'm a team player. I grew up in a big family where everyone had a job, and we all got it done, and I, I love that kind of energy. I do say many hands make light the work. Oh, off. I love that saying. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have fun with it. Um, and I guess actually one thing, uh, my husband, I am, I am married to an incredible person who is really my kind of silent partner. He's behind the scenes. He doesn't like to be in the, the limelight, but if I have an idea, he's behind me. He says he gives 110% unless he's giving blood, you know. <laughs> um, and he is behind everything that has happened at Blue Moon. And we have a good time doing it together. It's it's really uh, a pleasure. And um, I think that's probably, and really my family and friends, uh, you know, have been supportive and are always there if I ever need them. Awesome. Let's dive into some of these if factors, Kath. Uh, let's, sure. I mean, how important is optimism? And share with us a time where, you know, that optimism really just shined through and was crucial to your success. Um, think. Well, I think any leap of faith, you have to believe in yourself I guess I would take my evolution. Um, one part of the evolution that I didn't mention was me attending a, actually the first ever held slow money conference in Shelburne, Vermont. It was in June of that year of my um, kind of the kids coming up with the, the evolution. And um, they the whole format is that you seek people within your community, people who may have means to invest. And instead of following the traditional banking route, you ask people to uh, believe in your cause and believe in your plan and invest in you at a more flexible lending rate, perhaps, or some flexibility, um, just without the, the ties that, that a formal banking relationship would have. Mm -hmm. So I had to um, convince this person that I had a leap of faith that I believe that evolution, that people would want food that was grown locally, seasonally, and organic. And actually, when we created, and still today, our menu has something for the raw foodist, the vegan, the vegetarian, and the conscious meat eater, mm -hmm. and the gluten-free person. Um, and I do say that's because at one time, one member of my family was all of the, at that time, actually, I had a family member who was each of, fit each of those categories. Wow. So, um, and the person that I went to, I actually, I made a list of people that I was going to ask, um, which took me about 20 years to come up with enough nerve to ask somebody for, uh, something that was my idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and the first person that I went to, uh, agreed. So, um, I think you have to believe that it is possible mm -hmm. and you have to know that, uh, I think you have to also bring something to the table, maybe a little track record or some successes that you've done on your own without help. Um, yeah, no matter what, the first person, 
you always have to convince is yourself. Whenever you're doing something, if you don't believe, if you're not optimistic, if you don't have that hope that you can do it, that faith that you can do it against all odds, then how are you going to convince other people? How are you going to convince your investors? You have to believe. You have to be able to sell it. And that optimism is huge. And also, I love that you mentioned just being um, somebody who you know has to give before they get. And you get what you give. Um, and I see that with you, giving back to the community and uh, being so willing to add wood to the fire before you get heat. And sometimes people just want to get without giving. But you see right. the significance in giving first. Um, right. Can you give another example of where you had to give something first before you got something in return? Um, give something before I got something. Um, well, actually, when I first moved into my building, um, it really truly was dilapidated. Mm -hmm. It had red shag carpeting. It had been a plumbing supply store that had been abandoned. And so we as a family went in and ripped and tore the, the landlord, uh, gave us like a month's free rent to fix his property. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And um, so we we spent a tremendous amount of time cleaning and, and getting it down to bare bones and painted everything. And um, I leased that build. I had a three-year lease. And at the end of two years, uh, the property owner came to me and said that he was willing to own or finance the property if I wanted to buy it. And so he said he needed a $10,000 deposit. And I said, give me six months. And he did. And I saved, I think it was like we put away $500 a week or something or as much as we could. And we saved the $10,000 for the deposit. And he owner financed it. So it was a private deal. Um, and I, I think if I hadn't put my blood or our blood sweat and tears into the property he wouldn't have trusted me and he I mean in the end you know it was a good deal for him um, except for what I realized after I had done that owner I did close the deal with him and I realized that since I held the mortgage I could go to the bank and treat it as a second mortgage and refinance with no money down which is what I did. So I think I think he had been planning on making money off of the interest that I was going to be paying on the mortgage, but he only had a very short window. He didn't have a prepayment penalty, so I was able to refinance and get a solid bank loan uh, free and clear of him uh, within a very short period of time. Yeah, and I think this is all just another example, Kath, of just how uh, that optimism, if you believe you can and you just start and you just put the work in, opportunity is going to present itself when you where you would have never seen or you know would have been able to predict it coming from and it seems right. like that's what happened here if you just start if you just start and have that faith and put the work in your the tools you'll need the resources you need will show themselves to you i do believe in that but i do believe also that you have to know your numbers mm -hmm. that oh, yeah. there has to be a business plan that is solid a friend of mine uh and myself Start, tried to start a spread company, you know, a cream cheese based spread. Mm -hmm. And we were going to do sun dried tomato and olive spread and kind of some popular ones we had at the restaurant. We went to wholesale them. Mm -hmm. And we spent a winter meeting every week, crunching our numbers and making recipes and then sourcing all the ingredients. And in the end, we realized we had a product that we couldn't afford to sell or we could, the price point that was going to be on the shelf would be higher than anyone would ever pay. Mm. But we didn't know it until we'd done the work 
beforehand. You know, we had to create a recipe before we could price the recipe out. So sometimes you have to do your groundwork and see if what you has, have is really a solid um, number that that fits. Mm-hmm. Great um, advice. Absolutely. And that's another thing I noticed about you I was going to mention is that you're, you're always evolving. You're always trying new things and you're, you're staying fresh. And that's another example of where you tried to stay fresh. You tried to evolve, but sometimes you, you need to know when to pull that plug. You need to, to recognize when something's not going to work and before you fail, before you put too much. I mean, it, it's weird. We're saying just have that optimism. Just go with it. Who knows? You know, things will present themselves to things will work. But at the same time, you you have to have that intuition too, um, to right. base off the numbers to, to make those tough calls. But it sounds well, like you, you made know, a tough call, right? And I have gone to people who are you know um, CFOs of companies to help look at my books. At one time, when I I had a yoga studio upstairs, I had the market and I had the cafe, so I had three businesses running under one roof. And I I was kind of struggling, but I couldn't figure out where I was losing ground because I was busy running everything. So I really had to step back and dissect each business. And actually, what I realized was my market with, you know, a 1.5 markup. And um, actually, the CFO said to me, if you have if 85% of your uh, food and labor are cutting into your, if that's if you can't get better than 85%. Um, you're doomed. And I realized I was stuck in a model that I would never do better. And so I, that's when I decided also to dissolve the market because financially it was, it took a tremendous amount of money to hold inventory and really the, you have to do more volume than I was doing. Mm -hmm. So when I, it helped me decide to close my market and go into the restaurant world where there are deeper margins and, um, but again, it was a leap of faith because at that time restaurants, you know, were closing, they weren't opening and no one had ever really heard of farm to table. So, <laughs> well, it worked out for you. You're doing incredible things. We have to move on to the part of the interview okay. where we talk about your failure and just share a time with us, Cap, where you fell hard on your backside. Uh, and then tell us how you got back up and what you learned from that failure. You know, I have so many lessons that I've learned along the way, um, I had a few hard falls. Um, It was a real challenge when I went from a market to a restaurant, actually. I met with a restaurant consultant, and he said, the first nine hours, I'm going to try to talk you out of it because it's such a challenging industry. And I was like, well, I've run a market for 15 years. I've had a cafe. I felt pretty confident that I could handle it. But I had no idea how hard it was. Um, Really, it just seemed like the challenges got bigger and what I actually had to do and it's helped me tremendously ever since was I had to change my attitude (laughs) and what I adopted was what is the challenge of the day and so when something went wrong I was like okay I can deal with this this is the challenge of the day with a hot water heater or a staffer you know decide to quit or it was like so it breaks it down again in that inch by inch you know you're just dealing with the moment um it's, uh, I guess that's my mantra of how I've gotten through the challenges. Um, I guess that wasn't the greatest example of a challenge. Kath, that was a great example of how we need to deal with failure. I mean, we're going to definitely inevitably 
face challenges. We're going to have to have that that attitude, that right attitude to just see these challenges as today's challenge. And you know, what are we going to do to handle this challenge? And how are we going to be better because of this challenge after we've conquered the challenge? But tell me about a time where you really just fell hard on your ass and just you know had to like really dig deep to persevere and take us through the moment and how it felt and what happened and now how you're better because of it. So at one point in the history of Blue Moon, uh, let me just think about what it was 14 years ago. So 2002, I had a really strong catering account. Every Friday I had lunch for 150 people. It was the gravy that gave me all this extra cash flow. Mm -hmm. Well, the company decided to move and um, I lost the account. At the same time, my street got turned into a one-way street from a two-way traffic flow um, and I about lost my business. My my numbers just plummeted Ooh. to an obscene low. But I loved my crew, and I cared for them so much, I kept them on. And I, um, I kept trying to, you know, make it right and build things back up. But I did something that I shouldn't have done. Uh, so my weekly 941s that you're supposed to pay in, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't have enough money for it. So I just stopped paying them. And I, but I had enough for payroll, but I honestly didn't have enough. Mm. So um, after about five or six months, um, I got a knock on the door with a man with a big badge from the IRS saying, why uh, why hadn't I been making my 941 payments? And um, I, you know, I was honest. I said, you know, I had this hardship in my business and I just haven't been able to make them. And he was like, well, I can shut your door right now. And he agreed to have a meeting with me. And um, I went to their office and I said, you know, I will pay you $1,000 a week. I owed them $50,000 at the end of it. And um, I and and he said, well, you know, if you are late one week, you have to have it here by two o'clock on Friday. So every week I showed up and made my thousand dollar payment. And when I made the last payment, the IRS agent said to me, I've seen very few people in my career do what you just did. And then I started to cry. Then I was like, oh, God, I knew it was hard, but I didn't realize it was that hard. (laughs) And I pulled through it. And I um, I just, uh, you know, did what made you keep going? What where did you find the will to keep going during that hard time? You know, it's so funny because I remember very clearly I was driving toward Newmarket when I pulled over and realized what was happening. And I was just committed that I would not go down when I was at my lowest point Mm. that I wouldn't um, that I wasn't going to succumb when I was when I was that low that we'd work too hard for me to give up and I just dug in I just um, it's because it's a refusal almost like Mm. you just refuse to fail and I really could have folded very easily at that time and just walked away Um, but I think I felt a commitment to my employees. I felt a commitment to my community. But I think more importantly, it was a commitment to self. Mm. Uh, I just, I, I was just, I just thought I can do this. And I got in the saddle and I started working five, six days a week. And um, 
I had to let people go because which I hadn't, that's what I should have done in the very mm -hmm. beginning. That was the lesson. Mm -hmm. When, when the cash flow is not there, you cannot carry your staff if you don't have deep resources. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried to do that and it was, you know, it was a huge mistake. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes us who we are in this industry is our compassion, our, our desire to want to help people, to be there for people. I mean, that's what makes us hospitalitarians and it's tough to you know make that decision to uh to cut somebody or to get rid of you know the to get rid of your staff when you really just want to be there for them, but it can it can bury you. And it's right. I'm so happy to hear, Kath, that you were able to to find that will to push on to you know keep your your um I don't know what the word I'm I'm at a loss of words, but like just to to, to keep Mocha. on put, yeah just to keep that keep the going when the going gets hard. And you know uh, you're a great example of uh, you know just somebody who stays committed to their their why and to the, what they are doing. And uh, thank you for opening up and being honest with us. A great sure. story, a great yeah. lesson. That take away from that. Too. Well, we do say if it was easy, everyone would do it. I mean, we have so many mantras, hold fast, you know, I mean, really, the, it's like, you know, master and commander with Russell Crowe. Sometimes I yeah. feel like, you know, sometimes <laughs> you have to cut someone to save the ship. And, yeah, absolutely. It's a tough um, call, but it's, it can be, a, it can make a huge difference in the long run. Um, but one other thing I wrote down, I circled a bunch of time is honesty. I think when you're honest and you're transparent, I mean, do you think that might've saved you? Do you think if you tried to like get creative and try to sweep some things under the rug, it might have not ended as nicely? I think so. I think that people have a gut reaction. Mm -hmm. That IRS agent didn't have to do what he did for me. Mm -hmm. I think he saw that I was sincere and hardworking and that I'd made a huge mistake, and he was giving me an opportunity to make amends. Um, so I think sometimes if you just are straight with people – you know, I, I, I guess that's sort of treat other people how you want to be treated. Yep. I, with my staff, I'm, they, you know, if, if I need to go over something with them and I need to take five, as we say, um, I'm straight with them because mm. otherwise it gets convoluted and you're, you know, annoyed with them for the wrong reason and it's not constructive or anything. So I think, you you know, sometimes it's not easy, but, but I think, um, just being straight, I guess, is awesome. something I strive for. Awesome. Great stuff here. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. If you're a fan of Restaurant Unstoppable, you remember past guest Karen Post, our authority on restaurant branding. Well, she's teamed up with Jocelyn Ring, and together... They've created Restaurant Branding Roadmap Academy. They know the formula for restaurant branding success, and they're going to share it with you. At Restaurant Branding Academy, you'll learn about branding 101, the basics, how to find the best brand name, how to tell your story, and how to develop identity using graphic and visual footprints, plus much, much more. To get started, head over to restaurantbrandingroadmapacademy.com slash RBR hyphen academy. Again, that's restaurantbrandingroadmap.com slash RBR hyphen academy. Get on it. All right, we are back and we are going to have you drop some bombs of knowledge on some knowledge bombs as I like to call them. Uh, the first question I have for you is what is your advice for getting that initial capital to get started? What did you do? Well, my initial capital, I had a small amount of money from selling a house and it was supposed to go into my new kitchen, which waited uh, about five years. But I think what I've learned through the years is that you have to, 
do your homework, have a solid plan, and you have to ask. Mm. And you you have to not be uh, intimidated in asking. It's kind of like if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people out there, who, and really I love the, the slow money model where you're asking the private individual as opposed to uh, a corporate bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who are uh, willing to help someone. Often someone who has means might not have an idea or a vision, but want to support something in their community or support something wonderful. Or somebody who is looking for the same thing that you are looking for at the time. Sure, sure. Or somebody that wants to eat good food and have a place to go and they're willing to also take a leap of faith. Um, I happen to have, I mean, you have to have a little People say skin in the game. Um, you have to be, I don't think people are willing to take 100% of a risk for you. So you have to have something that, that you're also invested in it, whether or not it's, I don't know, property or um, a second mortgage or something that you've built toward. But I I think the it took me a long time to, to ask because I can be really independent and mm-hmm. slightly stubborn. Um, so I'm willing to, I like my own road. Um, and I think at one point I felt like asking was, you know, especially an individual was kind of um, something I wasn't comfortable doing, but I've had uh, success in that. Um, asking the individual, I'd recommend somebody look up the slow money principles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a guide to, to a different conversation in the lending world. Where can we find that? Do you know where, where that is? Uh, Woody Task, it, Tashk, Tashk is the author um, of the book Slow Money, Bringing Our Money Back to the Soil, I think is the tagline. Okay. It's, um, I bet if you Googled it, it would be, you know, slowmoney.com. I'll have it in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is uh, in the <laughs> lending world. Uh, I know people who've gotten in sticky situations where someone – you know, agreed on the decision, but really kind of took over and gave more than the other person really could ever pay back and ended up getting kind of burnt. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to take it slow. Again, where that's just knowing your numbers, knowing what's realistic, knowing what you can return on. And, and so- the, yes. And that's where I might, my optimistic self might be a little conservative, yep. you know, that old saying, um, under, under promise over deliver. Ah, yes, that is great advice. So, Kath, let me ask you, I mean, we all know this industry is so dependent on people. I mean, what's your advice for um, just managing people and hiring and finding great people? You know, I've learned a lot in this category, and probably some of my hardest lessons have been with my staff. Uh, I've really learned to take care of my staff and tell them I appreciate them, and I thank them every day when I leave if they're still working. I thank them often. Um, I try to do silly little small things for them, you know, whether or not it's just a little I'm wonderful button. Um, I feed my staff well. Uh, I worked at a place years ago where we, you know, did the $120 plate and got fed subs that we had to buy ourselves. And um, I just didn't believe in it. So uh, my my staff eats the same food we sell. Um, I also think... uh, I guess in the the hiring world, um, I hi, I do love the mantra of Peter Schultz, hire character, train skill. Mm-hmm. I think that if you have someone that wants to learn, that 
looks you in the eye, um, has a, a character that you feel like you could trust and lean on that, that they're worth investing in. Um, I mean, one thing I've noticed about you, Kath, is um, you you really do a lot to really instill culture and values with your people. And I think that's huge to, to know your own identity, to know your restaurant identity, and to make sure it's clear to other people that you're hiring that this is who we are. This is what we're about. And it echoes. It seems like it echoes all over the place with you. You sent me this, this, uh, the, all these images of these things, these sayings you have. I mean, how important is it that you make it tr- totally obvious that, I mean, I'll share some of the things that you wrote down. Uh, do what you love. I mean, it seems like is a huge part of your culture there that show up ready to be in service. I know. It's so funny. Um, when I hear you saying all these, I hear my employees' voices and I do think it's critical to have a strong culture. Like we even say, this is how we do it here. Mm-hmm. We say, learn it our way. And if you have an idea, bring it to the table. But um, really, I think the integrity of that we uphold or we ask the expectation, um, it, it kind of builds on itself. It, it, it kind of snowballs in a beautiful mm-hmm. way that they're proud of where they are and they see the beauty and when you see someone pick something up off the floor in front of you, you just go like right on, yeah. you know. So it has kind of a spark that infuses a beautiful flame, really. Um, to and- me, it's a sense of togetherness. I mean, the word team comes up a lot. The, the word unity, I've seen the word community, respect, uh, family. These are the, the words I'm seeing. And basically, if, for you folks at home, uh, these are just still snapshots she sent me of, of posters they have up throughout the restaurant. I think it's maybe in the back area of uh, just things that are important to you. And are these things that your team came up with or that you came up with? Um, well, they actually, it's interesting because we had a woman who worked for us years ago who started in the dish room writing these mantras Mm -hmm. and they started to just kind of get infused and we started saying them and carrying them. And those notes that you have are from our staff meetings when we kind of brainstorm together, like, you know, what are our mantras? And and those are all shout outs. Mm. And, um, when one person who is a strong leader says that, then the younger employee grabs hold of it. You know, it's not all coming from me. Um, they actually, one thing that I want to share here, and it is one of my lessons, because at one point in time, I had 24 women working for me. And I used to say, oh, we're like a beautiful stained glass window. Everyone has a place and together we make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And But I was always dealing with really what I might call a, a level of chaos um, and then I read a quote that if you don't have a chain of command, you have chaos. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was right. Um, so I developed a chain of command with a clear role. And it sounds so rigid and um, formal, but really, I, it also, uh, what I ask of my staff is if you have a problem with someone, speak to them directly. And if you can't speak to the person next up in the chain of command, that there's zero tolerance for gossip. Mm-hmm. I actually say I have zero tolerance for flies and gossip. But <laughs> <laughs> So the chain of command, it gives them a vehicle for to be proactive. And mm-hmm. it gives them, instead of saying no gossip, just, you know, zip it, it gives them a way to solve the problem. Uh, and, you know, there's so many things that come up in the course of working and 
um, that you need to have people to own their place. And so whether or not it's the day manager or the kitchen manager, it empowers them to solve the problem or to deal with something in a proactive way. Mm -hmm. So the chain of command is critical in my high functioning team and the engine that we say we have, you know, so I think it's really important. Yeah, to- we need that direction. At the end of the day, it's direction. People, when they when they have direction, when they know which way to steer the ship, uh, when that structure is there, it makes them do their job better. When they can do their job better, they're happier. I mean, those totally things, agree. Those things are crucial. I know we all in the indie world, us, you know, independent operators, we don't like that idea of corporation rigided, uh, you know, we want freedom to express ourselves, all that stuff, but you really do need some structure. It's crucial. I think so too. And I think a clear expectation is also another critical component. I mean, we say move with a sense of urgency and um, do whatever Uh, it takes to get the job done. One quote I love from a a past guest, uh, Rudy Mick says, you need to paint his one piece of advice. He's a extraordinary consultant known throughout the industry. And that's just paint a picture of perfection. Show people what you expect from them. And if you can paint that picture and and what's the word you use? Um, Expectations. Right. Yeah. Essentially the same thing. You have to give them an idea of what you're looking for. Huge stuff. Right. Right. I think too, that, um, we are an integral part of the food movement, this local food movement. Mm -hmm. And my employees are really proud of that. So they own, you know, we have a garden that we've uh, grown in for eight years and a number of my employees have worked on it for years and years and they, they get paid minimum wage. um, But they do it because they want that connection with the earth, but they also, when when they bring the strawberries or the flowers or the herbs to the table, you know, they have a connection with it. And I think it's just really powerful and mm-hmm. they're invested, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. It's, it's more than just a job. Absolutely. And- yeah. It's not enough to give people a paycheck today. They really have to feel like they're a part of something greater than that paycheck, that their higher needs are being tapped into. It's crucial. Exactly. Awesome stuff. So let me ask you, what's a current challenge you're having right now or maybe a challenge you see coming down the barrel and what's your advice for handling that challenge or what are you planning to do to combat that challenge that's coming? Um, my next challenge is really what's next. I'm I'm kind of waiting for the wellspring of my, my next idea. Mm. Um, I have a few things going, whether or not I utilize the upstairs of Blue Moon or um, – grow a bigger garden that has an educational component. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm constantly fine tuning my business. So, you know, you're, you can't ignore it. Well, it um, sounds like you do a really good job, Kath, if you don't mind me saying of just listening to the people around you, listening to your restaurant, listening to your, your kids, your family, the, to su- make suggestions that your people will talk to you. Have you tried that? Is that something that you're doing is just mm-hmm. listening Oh, yeah, uh, all the time. And actually, I just finished um, – let me see if I have one of them right here. In front. I just finished what I call my employee profiles, and I sit down with them. And actually, all I do is ask thought-provoking questions, mm-hmm. and I don't give them any – my, my goal is to not give them any feedback. It's really not a review. So I might say um, – what makes for a great day? What makes for a challenging day? Mm-hmm. Do you have all the tools you need? Do you have any ideas for the future of Blue Moon? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking to get from them. And it's really interesting. People will say, oh, you know, these 
sprouted grain wraps that we have are sticking together all the time. And it's like, why didn't he ever say anything? Like <laughs> often people hold back and I, maybe they don't want to bother me, mm-hmm. but they have great ideas. Absolutely. And I find if I see a repeating pattern, you know, thought or um, an area that's a challenge for people repeatedly, you know, the hot water um, decanter runs low on Saturday night and it's a challenge. It's like, well, let's just get an extra hot water yeah. decanter, you know, I mean, so it gives me an opportunity to listen. Um, I try to do it twice a year. No, that's great. I mean, one of the pieces of advice that I just love came from a book that uh, was written by Jeff Benjamin, and uh, he's of the Vetri Restaurant Group. And he's always just talking about they're always staying fresh, and they're always looking to uh, stay new, stay fresh. And one of the best ways to do it is just like you say, is just to listen to your people. They might see something that you never notice, and if you encourage them to speak up, they can show you an angle you would have never seen before, and you never know where that next innovative thing is going to come from to be fresh, to stay relevant. Right. Right. And when you have 30 people who are working it every day, who better to give you advice on Mm -hmm. how things are functioning? I guess the one new thing is um, my middle child, uh, who's 34, is due to have a baby within a month. So we've got a new baby. Grandma. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's what is new and I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Great stuff. So let me ask you, how do you balance work and life? I mean, at one point you had three operations going under one roof, the yoga instruction, the convenience store, or the, the, was it a convenience store a good term? Uh, health food store. Health food store in the restaurant. So how do you balance all that going on and still have time for life? What's your advice? Um, well, one thing that we say as a family, we have pretty firm boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, often when, especially when my children work for me and we might live together, have dinner together, we'll say no shop talk. Mm-hmm. We kind of stop work talk. Um, we don't bring it home. Um, also, we have been pretty much steadfast with Sacred Sunday. We don't work on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that we might, the restaurant is closed and the market was closed. We might go down and do a few handyman jobs because it is one day that we have to do some projects. Mm-hmm. But um, I think kind of the mantra of do your best and that's all you can do. And sometimes you just have to say, I did my best and that's all I have today. Yeah. And I love how you say, you know, uh, create those boundaries. You have to make time for those things in life that are just so important, like family uh, and just to regenerate and to remind like the, the, the reasons why you do all this work to support that family, to, to be a provider. I mean, you have to spend time with those people to realize yeah. why you're doing it to, you know, to recenter your compass. And I think that's incredible advice. So, well, what are some books you can recommend? Uh, it seems like you are a very active reader. You've already mentioned a few books. Like, What's one book that somebody listening to this podcast must read in your opinion? Um, actually, I'm constant. I'm always reading. I've always had a business book along with my novel or something. Mm-hmm. And I think through the years, um, if I were to pick one, you know, The One Minute Manager is a good little awesome book. Um, what's the biggest takeaway from that book? What's one lesson you want to share with us from that book? Well, uh, how to listen and how to turn it around to empower someone to own their proactive nature in the work environment mm-hmm. um, so that you don't become the um, everyone comes to you with their problems and you're the fix it. Mm-hmm. So you're running around all the time, you know, trying to fix it for everyone it, to turn it around and say to them, gee, you know, how do you think we could make that better? And gee, wh- why don't you go and explore that, you know, c- 
go and find some resources or what might solve the problem. So really in kind of turning it around so they own the the challenge of the, the, the day. Awesome. Um, I guess the purpose-driven life is something that really helped me. Um, Rick Warren is the author. That was way back when I was trying to figure out, you know, what I, why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, I have another book that I go to, Leadership is an Art. Max Dupree um, really talks about just the, the fine, just the fine points of communication and respect and listening. Um, we've talked about the E-Myth uh, yep. Revisited that uh, Michael Gerber, that um, you don't have to know it all. You don't, I, I have gone to people. I, I like to go to someone that has more financial savvy than I do to look at my books. I have used the um, Small Business Development Center phenomenal mm. with helping you understand your reports um, I just want, I just happened to have this right here. Wait, let me just show you. So I just happened to do a little review. Can you see this? So this is what I get from my daughter every week. This is, I don't know, eight weeks worth. So my cover sheet has all of my detail of in and out. I have my percentages of my um, income, the purchases, and my profit and loss page, my balance page. My is this, what is this that you're, you're talking about? Is it- So this is... Um, my financials that I get each week from Meadow and it has everything that happens in the business, how much we sold of each thing. When people, I have the time cards in here, when people clocked in or clocked out, I can see if someone's running late every day. So this sounds like a tool that you're using. That's a a technology driven tool, correct? So that is a combination of uh, QuickBooks and digital dining that give me a concise report that I can just, it's my go-to. Let's uh, let's move to that topic then. Let's talk about some of the tools and resources you're leveraging to be more efficient, to be more effective, to be uh, on top of these numbers that you talk about are so crucial. Uh, you said quick, it's a combination of QuickBooks and digital dining. What's digital dining? So digital dining is our point of sale um, that the servers use to place an order. Okay. It communicates from the front of the house to the kitchen. You know, I want to turkey reuben and a yep. side of chips or whatever Got it. well that vehicle also culminates all of the counts of everything into a program that then also talks to my quickbooks program oh. so um some reports i think you have to print off of a program but the two communicate and they give me a great overview of, of really sometimes all you want is the bottom line, like what percentage of food purchasing or what was our labor costs, you mm-hmm. know, what was the percentage of the total income. Uh, is there so, a, is there a tool, the name that helps these two resources, your POS system and QuickBooks come together? Is there a name for that? Well, this is where I use my staff because I don't know. <laughs> so my daughter, Meadow, has uh, mastered these uh, reports. And really, I get the same order, the same clipped report. It's probably 15 pages every week. Just got my every uh, Wednesday, I get my report. And that's what I can sit down with my chef and say, okay, how are we doing? And we can uh, we can say, gee, how many salmons did we sell on Saturday or last week? And mm-hmm. we can go back and I can even if I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I might do um, 
deeper work where I'll look at my, my purchases and how much I spent on salmon and how much I sold. I don't know. Is it a is it a graph or a chart? Like, what do you tell me? What the actual fifteen pages looks like? Um, there are different reports. So the cover page is a summary of everything, which mm-hmm. shows my income, my uh, payroll. Um, so it's I, it's just like numbers listed out. Yeah, okay. it's um, pretty much numbers listed out. Gotcha. But you know, she uses color, and then I have my um, total sales, total cost percentage of income for purchases, Ooh. total percentage of labor. Mm-hmm. And then I have a balance sheet that kind of see, shows me where I am in kind of my bank statement, a profit mm-hmm. and loss for the week. And then I have a um, accounts payable summary and the bills that have been paid for the week. And then I have my weekly time cards that shows me what everyone's worked and when they punched in. Yeah. And out. All those numbers, your business talks to you. The numbers are there. It's a matter of you taking the time to look at the numbers and to find the trends. It will tell you what it needs. It will tell you where you need to make differences, but you have to look at those numbers. It is the pulse mm-hmm. of your business. Absolutely. If you ignore it, you are doomed. Are there any other tools you're using to pay attention to these numbers? Uh, no, this this packet is pretty complete, mm-hmm. um, although I will take them to the SBDC and have he'll, we'll do um, annual comparisons like first quarter of this year versus last year. We'll look at um, and and he helps me. Um, he, they know actually they're great to um, before you go to a lender or a bank. The SBDC knows everything that the bank wants and will help guide you to prepare a business plan so that you're not kind of falling on your face your first visit with a, mm-hmm. a lender. Yep. Um, but really, these my reports, um, they, they just enable me to watch the rhythm. And, you know, I'll often look at last year at the same time. When I first opened my business, I used to have a, a log book that said beat yesterday. Mm-hmm. And you wrote down your your sales for the day and a column and then it was five years so every year you could look at last you were right next to last year on March 16th so I guess I've always been fascinated when I say I'm a numbers geek mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> but I do think you know we're in a very tight margin world we want to bring our food to the table at the most affordable price but yet meet our expenses and pay everyone and have some money to upgrade uh, when we need to, so you you don't if you're overcharging, you're you're not going to keep your customer. If you're undercharging, you're not going to keep your business. So, <laughs> exactly. So it's a really critical component along with doing what you love, which is food. Mm. Um, so you know, business is um, kind of a, a numbers game. Absolutely, great stuff. So if you could take all of the knowledge you have gathered over these 21 years and you could go back and give yourself one piece of business advice the the past version of yourself in 1995 where you're just getting started what would that one piece of business advice be i probably would have asked for financial support from another person or lender earlier mm-hmm. I think I kind of wrote, and actually I would say ask for money before you need it. That's mm-hmm. something that I have learned. Don't wait till you're up a crick and you have nothing. Mm. That Ask 
while things are kind of good and mm -hmm. think, and actually I was kind of just thinking about this. I was thinking, well, maybe a renovation in the fall. And if I go to the banks now, I'm in a, a good position. So that's when they're more inclined to lend you money because they want the success too. So exactly. I think um, to, to kind of ask for money before you need it or prepare yourself um, before you're, in a really tight spot. Be proactive, not reactive. Exactly. That's gotcha. a very good way to say it. I love it. So what's one question I could have asked you, Kath, that you think would have brought more value to this interview? I think the one thing, how do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Because um, at the end of the day, if you have sacrificed yourself and your well-being for the sake of your business, if you're serving delicious, beautiful food and you're not eating any of mm -hmm. it, uh, if you're working your fingers to the bone, you know what you're going to get. Um, I think really it's critical, like how do you, I, I know you asked about balance with family and mm -hmm. life, but I also think what are you doing to take care of you mm -hmm. while you're in the, the 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 battle or the challenge or in the intense work mode? I think to go the distance, um, and, you have to take care of yourself. What are, what are you doing, Kath? What are you doing to take care of yourself? <laughs> Um, I do. I, I really, I make sure that I, I do a, a daily meditation. Mm. Um, I get out for some kind of exercise, whether it's a walk or, um, ride my bike, um, play golf. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like to do things that are quiet, I suppose, like the game of golf. I don't need a lot of noise and chatter. Mm -hmm. Um, I've stayed connected to my friends. I have, you know, a book club that I get together with. I have a few, groups that I stay, I make the effort to, it's very easy to stay home after you've been in a busy workplace. So I really encourage you to, you know, not to stay connected to your friends. Um, I'm not a crazy social, but they're precious. <laughs> so I, I prioritize that. So um, important. Yeah. All great advice. Awesome interview. Thank you so much, Kath. We finish up every episode by having my guests call somebody out. So who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and just think would be a great guest mentor on the show? Well, I'm not sure if you've seen this person. Um, I've listened to some of your podcasts, but Mr. Jay McSherry, come oh, on down. He has been on my radar. If you know him personally, oh, I would I love do. an introduction. I do. Let's he's make it happen. A great mentor for me. And I would say that in the restaurant world, like go and talk to someone that is doing it in a way that you respect. Um, a great help for me. Awesome. Uh, so. Look out, Jay. I'm coming after you. Come on down. <laughs> awesome. Let the folks at home know how we can connect with you if they have any further questions or they want to dive deeper into the advice you shared. Or maybe somebody wants to come work for you. How okay. can we connect? Uh, well, bluemoonevolution.com. Um, I do have a blog also, Kath O'Leary Gallant, uh, that I've been a little bit absent from, but it has some leaps of faith and mm -hmm. things like that. I actually just wrote a recent one out of the blue that I'm, I'm just editing to post. Um, and, uh, come on down. Uh, we're at, uh, eight Clifford street in Exeter. So that's um, New Hampshire. That's New Hampshire. That's <laughs> right. Um, I think probably via the internet is probably the easiest way. Awesome. I'll have all those links in the show notes. This is episode 218. Just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 218. You'll find all the links to the books that are recommended, to the, the advice that was given into how uh, in 
into how to connect with Kath right there in the show notes. Again, 218. Kath, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to dealing with me during this time where I'm trying to learn how to use all this new recording equipment. <laughs> thank you for being patient. And we rescheduled this, I think, almost three times or something like that. So <laughs> thank you so much for your patience with me. And I uh, just want to say there's no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Take care. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Kath Glenn, for taking the time to join us. Uh, such an incredible guest. We learned so much from you and just, man, what a great story of just how, well, you know, first of all, thank you for opening up. Thank you for getting real and, and really just exposing yourself and uh, admitting where you went wrong when you, you know, told us a story about how you weren't paying your taxes because you wanted to make sure you paid your people and how it wasn't the right thing. You acknowledged that it wasn't the right thing, but uh, you you had to do right by your people, and I get that. And uh, But your perseverance to, to show up with $1,000 a week for 50 weeks, $50,000 to make things right, to show that perseverance, that grit, just to, to prove it to yourself, to, to make the promise to yourself. I mean, we're going to face hard times in this industry, guys. Uh, things aren't going to be easy, and I think that Kath in that story was just a great example of what we need to do uh, and an example of what we're probably likely going to face maybe in a different circumstance, but we're going to have hard challenges in this industry. And uh, thank you just for being, you know, a shining example of how to handle things when the, the going gets tough. And uh, I mean, that's what we got to do to make it in this industry, right? We got to show up every day with that grit, that determinism, just to, to, to be the best we can be. Awesome lesson. Uh, thank you guys for joining me today. As always, please support the show. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. Check out the links, the services that everybody has been mentioning and recommending on the show. Use my links. You support the show. When you use the links, those five-star reviews, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, keep them coming. And shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. If you uh, can think of somebody who would be a good guest on the show or if you're, you're struggling with something, I'll try to get an expert on the show. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much. Until next time, peace out. Thank you.